God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God tell me? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially the, the Bible is a, a collection of God Conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident. And I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that Jesus said we'd recognize his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. One of my all-time favorite ice creams are Magnums. I just love the decadent Belgian chocolate on the outside and the rich ice cream on the inside. But some years ago, Magnum launched a new marketing campaign, labeling each of their ice creams with one of the seven deadly sins. I don't know if you saw it, but there was sloth, vanity, gluttony, revenge, and greed. My favorite, the white chocolate Magnum, was called Vanity. I have to say, I didn't feel that great eating it after that. But I wanted to ask the question, why is it that something so good as a Magnum ice cream is associated with sin? Why is it that something so pleasurable is linked to evil? Hi, and welcome to episode 42 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and founder of this ministry that equips you to recognize and respond to God's voice. We're looking today at what I've called the theology of chocolate, how our twisted ideas about pleasure turn God into a killjoy. The scriptures say that Jesus came to give life and life to the full. But it's not just about the spiritual side of life. It's about the physical side as well. Well, Easter is coming, and as I record this podcast, we're looking forward to a a beautiful time of celebration. I know you're probably thinking that I'm doing this episode just to justify my habits and my love of chocolate, but I did really want to look at this question and the thinking around it because I think it's important. The way we think about this area actually impacts our ability to hear God's voice clearly. Because if you think God is a killjoy, then you're not going to be able to hear him speak about the good things in life, the things that you desire, the things that you like doing. On the other hand, if you don't have a good idea about how to manage those good things and what it means to surrender them to God's purpose, you're not going to be able to hear God clearly if and when he tells you to let them go. So I think you're going to find this episode helpful as we really explore some of the thinking behind the theology of chocolate. But before we start, can I just mention a quick thank you? We ask you every time to to pop a little review up on iTunes about the podcast because it really helps us to get the message out. And I wanted to say thank you to a recent review by a lady called Jane. She writes this, So often we get teaching which leaves us with the question, Yes, but how do I do that? Tanya's teaching is solidly based on the Word of God, but she doesn't stop there. She goes on to explain how to apply those principles in our own lives. If you want to know what God says and how to live a life based on what He says, this is gold. So thanks, Jane, for the encouragement. I really pray that the teaching is impacting lives. And I want to encourage you to share the podcast around. We really believe it's important to hear what God is saying about these areas of life. So let's talk about it now. The theology of chocolate. Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. But it's not just about the spiritual things in life. It's about the physical things as well. 
What does it mean to live for God, not just with our spirits, but also with our minds and with our bodies? What about you? Do you ever feel guilty about eating chocolate? Now, I'm not talking about eating too much chocolate, but maybe just a little. It's interesting that nutritionists tell us these days that dark chocolate is good for you. I heard a bit of research this week, which I quite liked. It said that um, a little bit of chocolate every week causes some short-term memory improvement and abstract thinking. So there you go. But you know, Magnum's marketing campaign is an interesting one because it reinforces the idea that eating something we enjoy is sinful and therefore gives us the idea that eating something horrible or nasty is probably the opposite. In other words, if you do the right thing, if you follow God's ways, you're not going to enjoy life as much. If you live as a Christian, then you're not going to have a good time. Where did this idea come from? There's an interesting precedent in history. In the early years of the church, in the early centuries AD, there was a movement called the Gnostic movement. And they believed very strongly that earthly pleasure was the antithesis of heavenly good. They said that all matter was bad and that we should escape from it, that if you wanted to be spiritual, you should deny the physical things in life. If it was pleasurable, it was evil. Later, we get the monastic movement. And this movement was a reaction to excess and indulgence and corruption in the society of that day. There was such a love of money and luxury that then deprived the poor that they came up with similar ideals in response. So monks took vows of poverty and celibacy and isolation. They said things like, the spirit is good, but the flesh is bad. Therefore, I'm going to deny my flesh to be more spiritual. And if I do that, God will be pleased. So food was bad. Good food was bad. They ate bread and water. There's stories about monks who fed on grass. Beauty was bad. They wore rough clothing. They wouldn't wear colour. They said sex is bad. So being celibate is better than marriage. They said laughter is bad. So then you have that whole issue of solemnity and soberness. No laughing in church. They said relationships can be bad. So you had recluses who lived in tombs. There were stories about a man called Simeon Stylite in the fifth century, and he spent time sitting on the top of a pillar on his own for days. Today, probably our thinking is not quite that extreme. We get Magnum saying that eating that yummy ice cream is sinful. But sometimes we get hints of that kind of thinking. It looks a bit like this. I feel guilty about taking a day off. Or God will be pleased with me if I work harder and harder. Or the natural world. It doesn't really matter what I do with my body, what I eat, how I spend my time outside of church doesn't really matter. Or pastors are somehow more worthy of God's blessing, but I just work ordinary nine to five and I'm not as worthy as a pastor is. That kind of thinking can come out, but it's ironic because the Bible teaches the exact opposite to this kind of thinking. In fact, if you take a look at the book of Genesis, those opening chapters where God is speaking about his creation, there's one resounding theme, a refrain that's repeated six times, that everything he made is good. He made the sun, moon and stars and he saw that it was good. He made the sea and the sky and he saw that it was good. The rivers, lakes and trees and the animals and it was good, it was good, it was good. Then God places humanity in the garden. 
It's the place where he dwells. And he says to Adam and Eve, he says, eat of it. Look after it. I've given you paradise. I've given you the best. Here it is for you to enjoy. What an incredible blessing. James 1.17 said, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. 1 Timothy 6 says that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God says the physical world is good. It's made to be enjoyed. The rich colours of a sunset, the scent of a fresh flower, the thrill of a kiss, and yes, the smoothness of good quality chocolate. (laughs) They're experiences that make us smile. They make us feel good. And a true biblical theology says that the visible physical world is as much a work of God as the invisible spiritual one. That means that when I'm enjoying the physical pleasures of this life in the way that God had intended, that I'm expressing my God-given humanity, and through it, I'm glorifying God, I'm honouring the Creator, I'm being spiritual. A number of years ago, I was chatting with a young woman named Rachel. She loved God with all her heart and was committed to following him and helping to build the church. Every week she volunteered there. She helped out at the services. She led small groups and worked hard on her assignments for Bible college where she was studying. She was often out every night. Everyone admired her service for God. But then she got sick very sick. In fact, she was so unwell that she was out of action for an entire year. And that's when I had the chance to talk to her. And she told me how she got it wrong. She had loved God with her spirit, but not with her body. Well, what a tough conversation. My friend Rachel told me that the reason why she was so sick was because she had burnt herself out. She'd worked so hard for God that she'd ignored her body. She'd ignored all the tiredness that she was feeling the moments when she should have rested. She ignored it all because she thought she was serving God. God was her priority and building his kingdom was her first commitment. Isn't this what God calls us to do? To deny ourselves, to give our lives, take up our crosses and follow Jesus? This, I believe, contains some wrong thinking that can have some deeply damaging consequences. Let's have a look at some of that. You see, when people think of Christianity, they often think about the spiritual practices, things like going to church, how to pray and how to worship, and and what happens after you die, after you leave your body on earth. That's all good, but we're only really focusing on one aspect of ourselves, one part of us as humans. When Jesus came, he said that he came to give us life, life to the full, John 10.10 says. But when he spoke of life, he wasn't just referring to the spiritual side of life. It wasn't just saving our spirits from sin and our futures in eternity. It was about the whole of life, spirit, soul, and body. In fact, salvation in the biblical sense is holistic. It refers to every part of our lives. Jesus says the same thing later in the Gospel of Matthew. When he calls us to love him, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. It's a reference to the same statement in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, where it also says to love God with your strength or with your body. Jesus calls us to love him with every part of our lives, our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. 
Every facet of life is important to God. There's not one that's more important than the other because they're all interconnected. So often we tend to split our lives into parts and that's where the trouble begins. The problem in life is that we tend to compartmentalise the different parts of ourselves. We sort of categorise things that are spiritual and things that are natural. What does that look like? Well, it gives us the idea that it's okay to be spiritual on Sunday, but then we forget about our faith on Monday. Or perhaps we think that leading a small group is what God deems to be godly, but preparing a beautiful meal for our family isn't. Or we think that preaching a sermon is what God favours, but cleaning up my child's nappy doesn't matter so much. Or we think it's okay to neglect our bodies, to treat them as rubbish dispensers and not look after them as long as we turn up on Sunday and sing worship songs. See, the truth is that the actions of the body affect the soul and the spirit, and the actions of the soul and the spirit affect the body as well. There's a unity in ourselves. We're not two or three individual compartments to operate under. And God sees us that way. In fact, the medical world tells us that there are a number of diseases that are psychosomatic or diseases of the soul. Psyche meaning mind, soma meaning soul. So many physical diseases are thought to be particularly prone or made worse by mental factors such as stress and anxiety. So in other words, your mental state affects your physical state. I think of psoriasis and eczema and stomach ulcers, high blood pressure, heart disease are all thought to be affected by your mental state. The body and the soul are interrelated. In fact, in the book of Corinthians, we see that sin had caused some of the people in the church at Corinth to fall sick. Our spirit affects our body and our body affects our spirit. When we follow Jesus and the spirit comes into our lives, God's promise is to save us. But his saving is not just for our spirits. It's to rescue our minds, our souls, our emotional selves, our intellect and our bodies. God's heart is for every part of our lives. My friend Rachel learned some good lessons throughout her illness. She learned the importance of allowing every part of her life to be an offering to God and that there were some things she could do to embrace the abundant life Jesus had given her. Have you ever heard one of those stories about someone who thought they heard from God, but they actually didn't? Then there's all the damage and fallout that goes with it. We know that God speaks, but how do we know it's His voice we're hearing and not something we made up ourselves? The good news is that Jesus promised His people we'd be able to know His voice and follow it. Just like the Bible characters who've gone before us, we can learn to recognise His voice. The Other Side of the Conversation series is designed to take you step-by-step through the biblical teaching on hearing God's voice, as well as plenty of practical tips that you can apply in the context of your local church. We've worked really hard to create an excellent resource that has been used in churches all around the world and has the potential to change your life. The box set includes a documentary-style DVD with six 15-minute episodes, plus a guidebook for individual or small group use. You can buy it online from Curon Books in Australia, Manor in New Zealand, or at the godconversations.com store. Remember, the ability to hear God's voice is given to everyone who chooses to follow Jesus. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.
There's a fascinating story told in the days of ancient Israel. A prophet named Elijah had just witnessed an incredible miracle where God had sent fire onto a water-soaked altar and defeated his enemies, Ahab and Jezebel. But afterwards, Elijah becomes a fugitive and finds himself in a desert. He's depressed and he's wanting to die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Then God speaks. But, you know, he doesn't talk to Elijah about what's just happened. He doesn't talk about Elijah's calling and his destiny. He doesn't give him a deep spiritual encounter. He just says, get up and eat. That's it. Often in Christian circles, we talk a lot about feeding the spirit, all those spiritual disciplines of prayer and worship and fellowship. But God wants us to love him, body, soul and spirit. God is also concerned with the physical part of our lives. Elijah's story, which is told in 1 Kings 19, is an interesting one because God never addresses the spiritual issues of Elijah's heart. It wasn't about his doubt or his lack of faith. God just gives him a good meal, some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Elijah eats and drinks and then he lays down again. And it's not for another 40 days of rest until God speaks to him again. We've been talking about our human tendency to split our lives into parts. We sometimes think that the spiritual part of our lives matters, but the physical doesn't. But this is not good theology. It's not godly. What we do with our bodies is important too. You know, Christianity is the only religion that saw the Spirit of God becoming human. Jesus came to show us what God is like, and he did that by becoming human. The Word became flesh. So Jesus comes as the perfect man. Other religions have a goal where the idea is to escape the earthly realm, to escape your body, and to live as a spirit. But Jesus came bodily. He ate and he slept and he walked along the dusty roads of Judea. He didn't escape the body. And even when he was resurrected, he had a resurrected body. He still ate and drank. He wasn't sort of wafting around in some disembodied form. So to be spiritual means to be fully human. And it also means to love God with all of ourselves, including our bodies, and to realize that this too is part of our worship. It's part of our offering to God. Let's talk about some practicalities of this topic then. What does it mean to love God with our bodies? You know, Paul talks about our bodies as being the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where God dwells, and that we need to look after that place. I guess that means to prioritize our lives in terms of health and diet and rest, to look after our bodies and understand that this is part of God's call for our lives. I think I first realized this personally in my own life a few years ago. I realized that my spiritual capacity was strong and I was on track to doing what all that God was calling me to do. But the problem is that my body was letting me down. I was getting sick often. I wasn't strong physically. I needed lots more rest. And God really spoke to me and said, I want you to start building into your physical body to look after your health, to, to eat properly and to exercise well. And at that point, I made a decision to change. Now, having said that, it's a decision I make daily. We know that the physical disciplines of life are sometimes very difficult and it didn't happen overnight. I still work on it today. But you know what? This is what I have discovered, that when I am strong physically, that also helps my spiritual life, that the two things are deeply 
interconnected, that healthy living brings glory to God because he gave me this body with oil, its foibles, but he gave it to me as a temple so that I can live out the Christian life, the God life that God has given me to live. And I've discovered that, you know, when I'm exercising, when I'm enjoying being physical, that actually affects my spiritual life as well. That when I find myself hiking up a mountain or jogging around a park or kayaking along the water, I find myself uh, wanting to sing songs of worship. I, I find myself active in my prayer life. I'm able to pray and, and it invigorates me and it motivates me and it clears out my mind and it helps me to focus on the things of God. God made us holistic beings. He made us body, soul, spirit. Every part of us he calls to offer to him, to live for his glory. And that means looking after what I've been given, looking after my body, stewarding it well so that I can continue to worship him in every aspect of of my life. A friend of mine is a brilliant artist. She'll often paint what she feels the Spirit of God is speaking to her, and the result are beautiful images crafted in great swirls of colour. For her, painting and artistry forms an essential part of her worship to God. Knowing God and journeying with Him doesn't just relate to the spiritual aspects of our lives. It encompasses all of ourselves, mind, body, and spirit. That means that when we enjoy the beauty of the world around us, we're also enjoying the God who created it. We've been talking about the theology of chocolate and having our thinking right when it comes to enjoying the world that God has given us and how sometimes we have this tendency to split our lives into different parts where one part is spiritual and one is natural. So we say going to church is spiritual, but going on a holiday isn't, or going to a prayer meeting is what counts, but going out for dinner with friends doesn't. Some of this thinking sounds more like the Gnostics of the first centuries, who taught that to be spiritual was to escape from the body. Or like the monastics of the Middle Ages, who said that to be spiritual was to deny yourself pleasure, to wear drab clothes, to be celibate, to go without food, or to become a recluse in a cave, or in extreme cases, to even flagellate yourself. But we need to remember that God sent his son in the flesh to be in his body, in the world, but not of it. He showed us that the body isn't bad, that the physical world is God's creation, and it was made for us to be enjoyed. Psalm says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display his knowledge. To be spiritual means to take time to enjoy the beauty of the physical world around us, to celebrate and enjoy the good things that God has given us, to enjoy his beauty and to allow him to inspire us with creativity, with music, with art, with nature, to enjoy the arts and all that he has given us, to remember that all of those things reflect his character, his nature, his kindness, his generosity and his creativity. I remember chatting with a, with a woman I met on a church retreat and we were talking about this topic and God spoke to her. He gave her a dream and he said, I want you to go back home and I want you to go horse riding again. She hadn't been for years, but she used to love it as a young woman. 
It's interesting what happened as a result of that. She came back and told me the testimony of how God used it to reconnect with a part of herself that had been dormant for so long, that it helped her work out her identity in God, to overcome some fears about what God was calling her to do. See, God uses the physical part of our lives to speak to us, and He wants to work through them. We're called to love God with every part of ourselves, mind, body, and spirit. One last thought as we finish today. You know, to be spiritual is also to give ourselves time to rest. We need to plan for it. We need to allow for it. It's not an optional extra. God built in a pattern in the seven-day week, one day of rest. It was built into the commandments. And we see that when Jesus came to earth, he came in a physical body. He ate and he slept and he drank, but he also took time out to rest. He was never in a rush. He never said, you know, I'm so busy. And we recognize that God has given us a body to live in. He calls it the temple of the Holy Spirit. And rest is a part of that. But so often we tend to feel guilty. We sort of disassociate from that part of our lives in order to be spiritual. I told that story about my friend, Rachel. She was so busy serving God. She was going out every single night. She was volunteering at her church. She was serving constantly and never giving herself a break because she was trying to put God first. But in putting God first, she was denying her body rest. And the result of that was that her body broke down. She got very sick. She developed an immune disorder that took a long time to recover from it. And she began to learn that she needed to rest. She needed to take time out. And even though she loved God and she was serving him, she needed to understand that that included the physical part of her life as well. A number of years ago, Billy Joel released a song called Only the Good Die Young. The lyrics went like this. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know that only the good die young. The song had a great beat and raced up the charts. Unfortunately, Billy Joel had this idea that's sometimes reflected in common understanding, that God is a killjoy, and following him means that we don't have any fun. But Jesus said that he came to give us life to the full, and it wasn't just about the spiritual aspect of our lives. Knowing him means that every part of our life is blessed. But that doesn't mean doing everything that Billy Joel sung about. You know, often Christians are known for their limitations, for the rules, and for not having much fun, as Billy Joel said. So where do we get it wrong? The truth is that God has given us all good things to enjoy, and he wants to bless our lives with pleasure, with good gifts, to enjoy the beauty of life. But only when those things are given their proper place. The problem is that often those good things take the place of God. The Christian way is different to how most people live. It's a reversal. Many people seek for pleasure, for wealth, for material goods, for good relationships and great experiences, but God asks us to seek him first, to prioritise him first, to lose everything that we may gain him. In fact, it's only in putting him first that we can truly enjoy his gifts. The good things come freely when we surrender every part of our lives to God, body, soul, and spirit. Jesus said that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow him. 
He then said in Luke chapter 9, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. It's the reverse way of doing things. It's to surrender your life fully to him, to take up your cross, to put him first, to not allow my flesh to be mastered by anything that overrules God's purpose in my life. And it's a process of death. It's becoming like Jesus in his death. That involves all the things of this life, the sports that we play, the holidays we go on, the food that we eat, the leisure time we have our relationships, all the things we've been talking about in this series. All of my life, body, soul and spirit, is called to submit to God. But watch what happens when we do this. Watch what happens when we lose our lives for him, when we put him first. Because ironically, when we lose, we always gain. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. This truth has been really real for me. You know, there have been times in my life where God has called me to lay down things that I enjoy doing, things that I want to hold on to, things that have taken the place of God. And when following him meant taking up my cross and denying all that I want and all that I need, Billy Joel's song probably would have applied on those occasions. It looked like God was denying me the good things in life. In those times, I'd want to escape his call. I'd want to say, God, this is too hard. This is like a cross for me. It's denying myself. But Jesus said that when we deny ourselves, that he gives back, that we find our life, that when we lose, we gain. It's a reversal. When we put God first, then we're set free to enjoy the good things that he gives us. I remember at 17 years of age, I spent time in Switzerland. I was on a gap year and I went on this particular trip and I remember having the most fabulous time of my life. It was such a beautiful country. I just loved it. And you know, you know when you're going through a difficult time and there's places that you go in your head? Over the years, when I was going through a hard time with God, I'd say, God, I don't want to do what you're calling me to do. This is too difficult. I'll just escape. I'll just go back to Switzerland and move there. And I used to laugh about it with him because it was a bit of an empty threat because I'd made a decision to commit myself to following God. I'd made a decision to put him first. And God must have heard what I said because years later, after following God's purpose for my life and seeing him at work, he spoke to me. He said, Tanya, I want to bless you. I want to give you some good gifts. What do you want? And my first thought was, I want to go back to Switzerland. I want to go skiing there. But God, that is impossible. I don't have the means. I don't have the capacity to make that happen. But God is a good God. He wants us to enjoy the things he gives us. And it's no coincidence that years later, I found myself in a job where skiing was part of my job. And I was provided for all those things. My very first ministry trip, I found myself overseas in, you guessed it, in the country of my dreams, in Switzerland. And I had the opportunity to go and visit the Alps there and enjoy the beauty of what God gave But that beauty and that enjoyment came as I lay my life down, as I put God first, as I said, God, I surrender those desires and those needs, the good things in life. If God's calling you today to lay those things down, it's because he wants you to know him first. He wants you to be free of those things that then he can give you all good things to enjoy. 
Following him means taking up our cross, denying ourselves and living according to God's plan. But when we live that way, we experience his very best. We experience the good things that he has for us. And then we can truly live the abundant life that Jesus spoke of. It's been great talking with you about how we can love God in a way that involves every part of our lives, body, soul and spirit. I hope it's been helpful to you. I hope it's encouraged you to continue to live for God, to enjoy all that God has given you, to look after yourselves in your body, your soul and your spirit and to offer every part of ourselves to Him because that's where we find His blessing. Great to have you on the show today. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing on iTunes. Search for God Conversations with Tanya Harris and click subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review so others can learn to hear God's voice too. 